Chapter 7, why the great commandment is the great commandment. The great commandment is the door that leads to abundant life. Have we ever stopped and asked ourselves why the great commandment is in fact the great commandment? When there is so much that Jesus taught, why is the great commandment the greatest teaching? The commandment to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength. And then the second commandment to love our neighbor as ourselves. Just so we are crystal clear, whenever we read the word commandment in this chapter, and in fact any other part of this book, I am referring to the great commandment of loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength, and the second commandment of loving our neighbor as ourselves. Why on earth did God make this the greatest commandment? And what does it even mean to keep this commandment the way God intends? The reason the greatest commandment is to love God with all of our being is because when we love God with all of our being, we are no longer loving ourselves. The God of self has been replaced in our hearts with the one true God. Because we are no longer loving ourselves, we are no longer living for ourselves, and we are no longer leading ourselves. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14 to 15, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. God is now in reality at the core of our heart and our lives will be the evidence of this new position. This new reality opens up the door to an abundant life that is to be found in Jesus Christ. Jesus said he is the door and he promises us life and life abundantly in John 10.10 if we will come through him. When Jesus speaks of the great commandment in Mark 12 verse 30, he is quoting directly from Deuteronomy 6 4. I want to look at Deuteronomy because the promise that is given with this commandment is nothing short of breathtaking. Deuteronomy 6, 4-15 Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, and you shall talk of them when you sit in the house and when you walk by the way. And when you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build, and houses full of all good things which you did not fill, and honed cisterns which you did not dig vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you eat and are satisfied. Then watch yourselves that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship him and swear by his name. You shall not follow other gods, any of the gods of the peoples who surround you, for the Lord your God in the midst of you is a jealous God. Otherwise the anger of the Lord your God will be kindled against you. And he will wipe you off the face of the earth. Can it be any clearer than this? We are to love God with all of our heart, soul, and might. Once again, does God have our all? Where is the great commandment to be? On our heart. This commandment is to be alive, living, and actively working on and in our hearts. What are we to do in relation to this commandment? The scripture is very clear. We are to teach them diligently to your sons, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. 
You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be on the frontals of your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Look what the outcome is when we surrender to the commandment and are commandment-led. Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you, great and splendid cities which you did not build, and houses full of all good things which you did not fill, and honed cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you eat and are satisfied. Then watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. You shall fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship him and swear by his name. You shall not follow other gods, any of the gods of the peoples who surround you. For the Lord your God in the midst of you is a jealous God. Otherwise, the anger of the Lord your God will be kindled against you, and he will wipe you off the face of the earth. God is promising to go before his people and give them cities which they didn't build, houses full of all good things they didn't fill, home cisterns they didn't dig, vineyards and olive trees they didn't plant. They will eat and be satisfied. When we truly enter into this great commandment by the Spirit and let God be God, then the outcome for us is truly unfathomable. This promise for his people above is a physical context, a foreshadowing of something far greater. The foreshadow is pointing towards a greater substance of life as we as his people today are to come into this very reality. The great commandment brings with it the opportunity for this indestructible, resurrectional, eternal life in Christ in us. As we abide in Christ, he abides in us and we become the recipient of this eternal life being established in us. This is the new creational life that 2 Corinthians 5.17 speaks of. Just like the Israelites didn't build cities, dig cisterns, plant vineyards or olive trees, and yet receive all these things in the physical, we too will receive an abundance of love, joy, peace, rest, and freedom that we didn't build. We are the recipients of this through obeying the great commandment. This incredible life is the indestructible life I write about in chapter 4, and because we are now in this new life, we are able to love and live like Christ. The bride loves and lives like the groom. John 13, 34 to 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John 17, 26. And I have made your name known to them and will make it known, so that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. John 15.10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Have we reached the maturity in our relationship where we are able to love like the groom loves? I'm not talking about our human love, but the love that 1 Corinthians 13 describes. A love that always believes, always hopes, endures all things, holds no wrongs, and is not jealous. A love that can say, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Have we reached the maturity in Him where we are no longer living for self and living as Jesus lived His life, only interested in accomplishing the will of our Father? Jesus is the Son of God. And we have all been adopted into God's family as sons. Jesus is the example for us of how sons live. 
A seed produces after its own kind. So if we are of the imperishable seed of Christ, then certainly we should be like Christ in every way. Matthew 5, 43 to 48 speaks heavily to this truth. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Did we notice the behavior of sons? They love and live like the Son. The Father is looking for a bride or a people for his Son who genuinely, authentically, and truthfully love the Son with all their heart because they have given the groom their whole heart. Who wants to marry a person who has given their heart to another? I'm certain Christ doesn't want to either. No one and nothing else has the bride's heart. No human being, whether they be a husband, a wife, a child, a father, mother, brother, sister, or relative, holds this position in the bride's heart. No sport, career, home, asset, ministry, or position. Not even the very person themselves is to be at the center of their own heart. None of these people are to hold center stage in a follower's heart, but Jesus himself. Matthew 10, 37 to 39. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Can we say we are these people? We have been called and chosen to be. This bride, this people is wholeheartedly devoted to their groom. She has given her whole heart away to the one who will never leave her or forsake her. She has given her whole heart to the one she can completely trust with her whole life. Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. God is making it explicit through the statement that he is looking for a people who have given him all of themselves, and through the giving of all of themselves, they are able to love others as the Father loves. God is looking for his son's equal, not another God, but a bride who is his co-heir. He has been looking for her from the creation, began, and will continue to until he returns. This very process of love being formed in her and Jesus becoming the centerpiece of our hearts and mind is the church's bridal preparation process. The bride has made herself ready, Revelation 19.7, and failure to enter into this process will keep you and I from becoming his bride. I have had people say, well, I love God with all, but I just don't love people. I am committed to God and doing his works, but loving people is just way too hard and they just annoy me. People may annoy us, and I'm sure we are just as annoying at times to others. But let us look again at what the second commandment says, which is to flow out of the first commandment. We are to love others as we love ourselves. If we truly love God the way God intends, with his love operating within us, then we will be loving people with the love of the Father. The church of Jesus Christ is to be known for the Father's love, not any other kind of love, not a wishy-washy kind of love, not a politically correct kind of love, not our human conditional love. We are to be known for an 
unconditional love, the love of the Father, a love that is furious, a love that is powerful, a love that is compassionate, a love that is relentless, gentle, and long-suffering, a love that is consuming, a love that is intoxicating, a love that transforms the hardest heart, a love that disciplines. This is the love that is to be in us because we have given our entire heart to Christ. And this is the love that a lost world is to encounter when it comes into contact with God's people. When we enter into the great commandment by the Spirit and surrender to it, God's love and life will be formed and established in us. The bride loves like this, irrespective of physical relationship. The Father's love that is to be operating in us isn't measured by the closeness of physical, personal relationships. This love operating in us loves a husband, a wife, one's own child, a relative, a work colleague, a friend, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, even a complete stranger the same. It doesn't differentiate between any of the people above. You may ask, how is this possible? How is it possible to love someone you don't even know like this? The answer is simple. This love isn't defined by me knowing any human being personally. This love is defined by the God that we know intimately whose love is operating in us. Today, I am able to testify and give witness to the fact that I have this love in my heart for my wife and children, and it is the same love I have for the people I am walking with, people in the body I don't even really know, even for those who are yet to be reconciled to the Father. I certainly know my wife and my children more intimately than I know other members of God's body. However, knowing my wife and children intimately in the flesh doesn't determine whether I love them more or less than others with the Father's love. The Father's love cannot be dispensed through a physical lens or reality. It is given through the life of the Spirit that is within a person. The Father doesn't love one person more than another. There are no favorites in His eyes. He doesn't love one person more than another. His love isn't based on conditions. His love is pure love because He is love and He is pure. As we enter and surrender to the commandment and let the commandment go to work in our hearts, this very love will be birthed, formed, and established in us. John seventeen twenty six again, And I have made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. This love is to come from the people of God because Christ is in us and God is love. For it to come from us, it must be in us. Paul said in Galatians 4.19 that he was in labor again until Christ was formed in them. Is Christ being formed in us? Because if he is, we will be able to love like him. Christ in us is the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27 To whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We just have to ask ourselves a very simple question. As his people, are we known for the Father's love? Does the church of Jesus Christ manifest the love of the Father firstly to one another and then to people who are yet to be reconciled back to the Father? The great commandment exposes our true state of heart and motive. How can we love God with all of our heart if we have given our heart away to other people or things? Is God competing for that first place position in our hearts? Does God have to compete with all the other idols that we love and are established and anchored in our hearts? The Bible says God is a jealous God and that he will share his glory with no one or nothing. Why do we expect to receive all when God has to compete with all the other idols in our lives. 
It will be impossible to love God with all I am if my heart has been divided up and given away to my wife, my children, my positions, my sport or interests, and my ministry. I have a divided heart, and I will love God with the part that I have given Him. If I give my heart to my wife, my children, ministry, the lost, my sport, my positions, and then to God, my heart is broken. My heart is broken into seven pieces, and I will love God with a seventh of my heart instead of all my heart, as I have been commanded to do. I will find myself falling short and unable to keep the greatest commandment that God has given to us as his people. This is a problem because this is a commandment and not just a good idea or the latest fad to come from Christendom. This isn't about the commission. This is about keeping the greatest commandment that the creator of the universe gave to his beloved children. If I was to ask us all whether we have been created to worship God from a posture of love or function, how would we answer? Is our worship to God to come from a place of our absolute love for him or from our commitment of what we are going to do for him? How would we answer? I am sure 100% of us would say we have been created to worship God from a position of love. If this is the case, then why is it that so many of God's people tend to worship him from what they can do for him rather than just who he is? We know how to answer correctly, but our lives reflect something different. If God asks us to stop doing everything for him and asks us to get to know him more just for the sake of getting to know him more, how would we all cope? If he said, church, I no longer want you to do anything for me, just love me and be still and know I am God, how would the church cope? Could she be still and just live from this place of being? I believe many, and I mean many, would struggle to live from just this position of relationship. And yet if we do not know this position of relationship, we are still in a form of bondage to self and living from the old nature. We still have our identity and our purpose for living in what we do for Christ rather than who we are in Christ. The great commandment exposes our true state. It gives us his great commandment as a picture or a standard by which we should be able to see what our relationship with him is to look like. If we did not decide to be born and we had no say in who our parents were going to be, and we had no say in what time in history we would come forth. The only reason we are here is because of God. Then I would confidently say that God is the one who is to define what this relationship with him looks like. He then gives us Matthew 10, 37 to 39 as a way of helping us see where in fact we might be in our relationship with him compared to the other people who are in our lives that we love. He shows us this picture or standard because he loves us and he hopes that if we find ourselves loving our father, mother, wife, son, daughter, our own life more than him, we would turn to him, repent of having these people in our hearts more than him. We do this because we realize by loving these people in our hearts more than God, we are in fact committing spiritual adultery against God. And this lifestyle has negative consequences for our lives now and in the future. How many of us want to marry someone who has given their heart to another? We can be committed to doing all these things for him, but God is clearly defining for us what he says is most important to him. If we don't take heed of this, it will be to our own detriment. If we continually live like this, it will have detrimental effect on the abundant life that Jesus came to bring us into now and in the future. We will find ourselves suffering loss at the judgment seat of Christ instead of receiving our reward. Loving ourself and our own lives. I suggest that many followers of Jesus in the body of Christ love themselves and their own lives more than they love God. And this must change. 
These followers tend to be more concerned about whether they will find the person of their dreams to marry or not, how many children they will have and what these kids will become, making the happiness of their children their life goal. They focus on holidays, sports, buying their dream house and seeking success through careers, etc., etc., rather than truly entering into the great commandment and fulfilling what it says. Unfortunately, these followers are earthly focused and tend to have their minds firmly fixed on earth. The great commandment will expose this true state of being and it will expose what and who people truly love. The rebuke Jesus brought to the Ephesian church was that they had left their first love. Did we catch this? They left their first love. I used to think it was they lost their first love until I read it properly. Is the church today in the same predicament? I suggest we are. No one or nothing was ever created to compete with God, and if we know him for who he in fact is, they don't. Who can bring the reality that Christ can bring in our lives? The only reason there is competition for the center position in our heart is because we don't know him well enough. Once again, just think about his love. No human can compete with God, and no human was created to compete with God. So why is it that we would love a human more than God? Why is God having to compete with others and the things for this position in my heart? The Bible says where a person's treasure is, there you will find their heart. In other words, what and who we truly love, our hearts will be fully and wholeheartedly given to. I don't think there is anything that can be more important than God's people surrendering to the great commandment so that this life can be formed and produced in us. Doing works ahead of loving God and others. We find ourselves with this insatiable need to do and perform because we find our purpose and identity in what we do for God rather than who we are in Christ. This religious itch needs scratching because our flesh is still living and has not been put to death by his truth. There is still a part of our flesh that needs to be satisfied and have its lustful thirst met and affirmed through what we do. Our flesh needs to feel that sense of accomplishment to give our lives meaning and purpose. This needs to die in us if we are to truly live our lives from a godly position. Please hear me. I am all for doing the works of Christ, which God has already prepared for us to walk in, works that the Holy Spirit leads us into and which the Holy Spirit empowers. However, if this position I'm describing is not found and discovered in Christ, then we too might find ourselves hearing these words of Christ, depart from me, for I never knew you. How can one use the name Lord, Lord, cast out demons, prophesy and perform miracles, and still hear you of lawlessness? Before any of these things, we must establish and be having established God's first place priority in our hearts, so we are known and recognized for what we are to be known and recognized for, love. It is this very love that defines how these works are accomplished. Many followers are no different to Peter, who when Jesus asked him, do you love me, professed in words his love for Christ, and yet Jesus kept asking him the same question. Peter was eventually grieved by this repetitive questioning from Christ. What could Christ see that Peter couldn't? What did Christ know about Peter that Peter didn't know about himself? Christ knew Peter's words didn't match the posture of his heart at this moment in his life. Jesus knew that Peter had himself and not Jesus at the center of his own heart. Peter only loved Christ with a brotherly love and not yet with the Father's love. Are we any different? Do we, like Peter, profess an unconditional Father's love for Christ when in fact it is only a brotherly love we have a conviction of? We must press in for way more than this. 
Are we also like Peter, who was more interested in going on a mission with Jesus than being obedient to what Jesus had commanded him to do? Jesus gave Peter the second great commandment, which was to love his brothers as Christ loves him. But Peter wasn't interested in this, and the consequences for this disobedience was his denial of Christ. We will explore this further in the next chapter. I ask us why the great commandment is the great commandment. Because the greatest instruction Jesus gives his church will produce the greatest resurrected life, and this life has this love in its heart. 1 John 2, 3, 6. By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. What manner did Jesus walk in? He walked in love. He walked in his Father's unconditional love, and we are called to walk in this unconditional love too.